My name is Cheryl, and today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 12. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. What are you, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. This is the word of God to you today. You can be seated. Thanks, Cheryl. Good morning. This is <laughs> working. There it is now. Okay, okay that better. <laughs> um, so this is my wife Janet. If you haven't had the pleasure of meeting her yet, you're missing out. So um, we're I brought here. Here we're gonna do a little story time with Gabe and Janet this morning uh, as a way of of kicking off. Uh, a two-part series that we're in. We're taking a two-week break from uh, our journey through Romans, and we're going to be talking about um, generosity for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, I want to start by reading another scripture, and this is Psalm 50, 10 through 12, and this is just such a, an important reality for us to, to think about as we begin talking about generosity. Um, the Psalm says this, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. And there's a lot there that uh, we could talk about. But here's, here's the bottom line is that God does not need your money. And that's the first thing I want you to hear as we talk about generosity. Because I think when we start talking about money at, at church, you know, some of us are saying, oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, they're going to they're gonna be asking for my money. And, you know, they need my money for something. And, but here's, here's the first thing we're, we're talking about is that God doesn't need your money. God instead wants your heart. And that's what this is all about. And this is really um, a sermon. And, and next week will be a message on discipleship. And, and you're going to see today how... Uh, our, our views on resources and the way that we think about, feel about our money are so deeply tied to our journey with Jesus. And so that's why it's so important um, for us to cover that today. 
and next week. And we're going to talk about that through f- the lens of five principles of generosity that we teach every year at New City. And, um, and I've got Janet here with me this morning. And what we thought we'd do is we wanted to start off by just telling some of our story with money because we're going to tell God's story with money. We're going to get into the scriptures. But here's the deal is like, as you're hearing this, we know that it's hitting different people in different ways. And, and when we hear about money, it hits us in different ways because we have different stories. Um, and, and, and that's what we wanted to start off with is, is just to show you guys that, um, you know, Janet and I have our own story with money. She has hers, I have mine. We have ours together. And it, it deeply affects, you know, the way that we have this conversation in community. And so I hope this just opens you up to begin to think about, if you haven't thought about your story with money lately, um, I hope as we share ours, you start to think about yours too. And I hope it just gives you some permission to, to be a little bit vulnerable uh, with each other if you're in a marriage or with each other if you're in a smaller community within the church. And um, so I'm gonna, we're going to start off by just two, two questions. And we're going to ask each other these questions. So we're going to interview each other, um, which is fun. And so Janet, my first question for you is, what is your story with money? So my story is that I grew up in a blue-collar family. I grew up actually here in Charlotte. Um, My mom and dad both worked my entire childhood. And most of that childhood was in a 900-square-foot rental house. My dad never made more than $10 an hour. Um, Whatever activities we did were always free. My parents divorced at the age of 14. And after that, they didn't actually really contribute financially to my life at all. Um, so by the time I was a junior in high school, um, I actually didn't live with my parents. Um, I learned actually to work and pay my own way. So this means that by the time Gabe and I got married at 22, I was 22, I'd lived on my own for five and a half years. Uh, so that is my answer. Yeah. We'll see. It's a little bit different than my my answer. Um, so, you know, as you think about that story and, you know, just all the parts of, of that, um, how did how does that story shape your relationship with money even even now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fun <laughs> question. Every day it shapes our story. Yeah, it? that's right. Um, okay. So in a good way, I actually learned that I needed to work and I needed to work really hard and that I could pay for myself and take care of myself. Um, I had to be diligent to stretch every dollar that I had. Um, but those experiences actually caused me to have a lot of fear and anxiety with money, um, on a regular basis because I never had enough. Um, I had to think about it every second of every day and I never learned actually how to use money in a, w- as a positive tool. And because of that, I became fixated on money all the time. You can imagine what that did for Gabe and I in our marriage. It's been a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, and I think as you, as you hear, I mean, as you're listening to our stories again, like some of you are gonna really resonate with Janet's story because maybe that's more your background. Maybe some of you are re- more resonate with mine. Um, all right, your turn. Yeah. So, Gabe, what's your story with money? Oh, boy. Um, 
it's a fun story. Uh, so I also grew up in Charlotte, but on a different side of town. I grew up behind South Mecklenburg High School for most of my growing up years. My dad was actually the plant manager at Lance, um, which I don't know if you, if you know Lance, but Lance back in the day was the biggest employer in Charlotte. This is before Bank of America and all the financial industry came. And, and really, Charlotte was a very blue-collar like manufacturing town uh, when, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. And my dad uh, had 5,000 employees that worked for him. And so uh, he, he was in some ways like a, a de facto manufacturing mayor of Charlotte. Like we couldn't go anywhere where he didn't know people. He used to joke around that he hired and fired half of Charlotte, uh, which was true and sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Um, but uh, he advanced in his career. He was really good at his job. And so like by the time I got in high school, he was in executive leadership and uh, you know, there was a lot of dynamics to that. One fun fact was that we were not allowed to have Frito-Lay products in our home of any kind. Like, that was actually a law. Like, you would be, ba like, bad things would happen if, if you were eating Frito-Lay. Um, only Lance. We have to support the company. Um, it's just the way they thought. But, you know, the bottom line is my, my mom and dad, uh, my mom was a school teacher. She kind of stopped teaching. Uh, when we got in kind of school age, I have two younger brothers, but my parents were, were really good providers. You know, they, they provided everything that we, we needed. And so I didn't really grow up like understanding what need is in the same way Janet did. Like I, I knew, all I knew was like things I wanted, but all my needs were, were covered and I never had to like worry about that. The other aspect was my dad really believed in work and work ethic, which I'm grateful for because I think that's something I still have um, today. But we started, we learned to work from an early age. Like I think I was 10 when I first like mowed my first lawn. I remember my dad taught me to start the lawnmower when I was like eight maybe or something like that. I remember looking at Madeline when she was eight and going, I'm not letting you near machinery right now. Um, but it was a different era, right? The 80s, the glorious 80s. Um, and so I, I worked uh, worked mowing lawns and stuff like that, and then eventually worked at Turtle Car Wash, uh, which was an institution. Some of you are nodding your heads like, oh, yeah, the turtle um, right there on Park Road. And I, I worked there, uh, you know, after school. And in the summer, I basically, it was probably illegal, but I worked full time basically at the Turtle Car Wash, got great tips. Uh, but, you know, because all my needs were met, I didn't really have to ever save for anything. And I just kind of spent what I made on, on whatever I, I wanted. Um, and so that was kind of my dynamic with money. And then when I was 17, I left home and I, I went to the Army. And uh, it was kind of the same pattern there. You know, my needs were met. We used to say in the military, it was, you know, you got three hots and a cot. So, you know, you, you got a place to stay. You got all your meals. Like, all your needs are covered. I remember my first year in the Army, uh, I was at the military academy, so it's a little bit different structure. But I, made, I remember my paycheck was $90 a month. Uh, and, I, and I spent all $90 on just nonsense, like Chinese food and just whatever. Um, but it was kind of that, that thing of, like, my needs are met. I just can kind of money as a tool that I um, that I, I use, but um, not something that I, I really understood very well. And how did that story shape your relationship with money later? Yes. Um, well, once again, this has been a fun fun topic in our our marriage relationship. We don't ever argue about money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Except for every week. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I think, and when I remember when we were doing our pre-marriage counseling, um, 
Uh, our pastor, Robbie, who you've, you guys have, have met him, he's spoken here. Where he and his wife, Janet, were doing our pre-marriage counseling, and they sort of like honed in that, oh, like, this is going to be a big area for you guys because you have such different stories, such different backgrounds, and such different views. And I remember that like we both, I th- when we were young and, and first married, like, we were like entrenched in our views, and, and I think we both thought that we, we had the right idea about about resources like and probably just a lack of understanding from each other from each other yeah so Robbie and Janet helped us pull that out and I remember what they taught me was that um you know yes I'm like tend to be freer with money I like to spend it um you know I'm not I don't doesn't produce anxiety for me but I remember Robbie telling me but hey like I don't think I think you really struggle with respecting money I don't think you really respect it regard it in the, in the right way, and he was right. And so that's kind of the way I would say my short story shaped me is that I didn't learn to um, respect or steward finances very well. And so spending was really easy for me. Um, and not me. <laughs> and saving is not so much easy for me, but Janet's pretty good at that. Um, so, you know, I hope as you hear our stories again that, um, you know, both of us had unhealthy stories with money, um, you know, and, and, and all of that came out of our broken stories. And when you put two broken stories together, you don't get like a whole story. It doesn't work that way. You just get a new broken story. Um, and so, you know, we've been married almost 25 years. And I would just tell you, like, in transparency, like, this has been a hard part of our journey. It's caused us a lot of pain um, in, in our relationship and our marriage. And it's, it's still hard because you know, it's not something that you just overcome. It's something that you have to keep working through. Um, and so we're working through that too. And so as you hear this message on generosity and hear the things that we're going to be talking about, what I wanted you to hear is like, we're, we're in it too. And, and as, you know, as we're studying and thinking through generosity and all the things you're going to hear this week and next week, like these are the conversations in our house too. Um, and we're wrestling with it from both of our perspectives. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're married and you're listening to these messages in the next couple of weeks, like just, just be kind to your spouse. You know, it's very often the case that you, you are very different most of the time in your views of these things. So one of you might hear a, this a thing on generosity and be like, this is amazing. We have all this opportunity to give all this money away. And the other person's thinking, what would you be thinking? Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe it's producing anxiety in some of you. So just be kind to each other um, and be aware of your story as we're going through this. Um, I've asked Janet to, to, to pray for us, and then she's, she's going to leave me to, to do the rest of the message. Yep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we learn today about your holy perspective on money and generosity, I pray for the hearts of each and every person in the room to be prepared for what what it is that you actually want to teach them. I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I've chosen not to trust you in the areas of money and generous giving. And I pray that you would continue to mold me and teach me. Thank you for what you have done for each of us today and what you have for us. Thank you, God, that you are bigger than we realize and that you want to use us for your purposes and your glory. Help us as we go from here to move closer to you in all the areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you give a round of applause for my lovely wife?
Thanks, babe. All right. Well, um, we're gonna we're gonna start off um, our conversation about generosity it, 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 by talking about discipleship, because that's really what I want to talk to you about. That's really the heart of of God um, is rooted in His final command that He gave to us. That's what I like to call Matthew twenty eight. 18 through 20 is the final command. That's the moment when, when Jesus is resurrected and, and he's, you know, about to ascend to go back to his rightful place with the Father. And, and he gives this final command and he says, like, be a people on the move. Go and make disciples. And that's it. Make disciples. Make followers of me. And, and then he sa- tells us how to do that. He says, teach them everything that I've taught you. And that's, that's a big command. Um, go and make disciples. Go and replicate the faith in your neighborhoods and in your relational world and teach people everything that I've taught you. And, and here's what I want to hone in on is that did you know that Jesus taught more about money than any other topic um, in the Gospels? Why is that? Why is it that Jesus would talk so much about money? Because he certainly wasn't somebody who accumulated a lot of money. You know, you would assume, like, if somebody in our culture just spent a lot of time talking about money, what what would we think about them? Like, oh, this is somebody who's all about accumulating things. They're all about, you know, a 401k or, you know, um, acquiring a great real estate portfolio. But, you know, Jesus, we know, didn't even have a home. You know, Jesus never had a mortgage. Um, you know, d- Jesus didn't have a lot of possessions. Um, that wasn't what he was about. So why did he talk about money all the time? And I really think it's going back to um, this idea that we talked about in, in the beginning that Jesus knew that the chief rival for our love for God is a love for money. And so, you know, he, he's, it's that idea that he's after your heart. He, d- he doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need what's in your bank account. Why? Because he already owns everything, and, and that's a posture that we forget, right? We think, like, no, this, God, this is mine. This is when I, you know, go on my phone and, and look at my accounts. Like, this is what's mine. And so when I hear a message on generosity, what I hear is, like, what's, what's God going to take from me? And, and the, it's, a, it's a faulty beginning proposition, right? Because God already owns everything. He doesn't need your money, but he knows that the chief rival for your love, for your heart, is, is going to be money. Because money is like what drives the world. It's the currency of our world, right? It's what makes things happen in the world. And there's a line I want you guys to remember. You'll hear me say it over and over again um, as we continue to journey together, is that the currency of the kingdom of God is not money. The currency of the kingdom of God is faith. Okay? So that's our beginning um, kind of teaching on it, is that what we're talking about is your own discipleship journey, which is what does it look like to follow Jesus? And we've got to pay attention to this really important area of our life. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And really interesting here, just to highlight that Jesus calls money a potential master. You remember what we talked about, that really uncomfortable first teaching in Romans, um, where Paul identifies himself. He says, I am a slave 
of Christ Jesus. And we talked about that's an uncomfortable language for us and can be depending on our stories and, and, and backgrounds and culture. But it's this idea that like you're made to completely give yourself 100% to God, that you belong to him and that's what you're made for. And that's the only way to have fulfillment as a human being is to completely give yourself to God. But in the world, there's all these other alternatives that are vying for our attention, that are vying for our hearts, and that money can actually be a master. And what Jesus says is, look, money is not a good master for you. Only God is a good master. And if you give your heart to money, um, it's going to crush you. If you give yourself to anything besides Jesus, it's going to crush you. But money, um, because it's the thing that the world values the most, will, will crush you in a particularly bad way. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And, and so what he's getting at is this teaching that if you make money your master, if you make money kind of the centerpiece of your life, the thing that you're after, um, it's not going to end well. He says it's the root of all kinds of evil, but it's not money that's the root of, of, of evil. Catch this. It's the love of money. Okay, Money in itself is not a bad thing. Like You need it to do things in the world, to buy groceries and pay your bills and things like that. So it's not that money is bad, but it's the love of money when it captures our heart. And it says the root of all kinds of evil, that when our heart is gravitating towards loving money and paying attention to that and making that the centerpiece of our story in our life, that what happens is all kinds of other evil things happen. I love this language. It says some people craving money and we see that play out, right, in the world around us. And maybe some of us have experienced that. I've certainly experienced that in my life where there's been periods where I've craved possessions or craved to have more. But the problem with that is, like, when is enough enough? And the answer is, there's no answer. It's never enough. And so it leaves us completely empty. And what it does, it causes us to wander away from true faith um, and he ends by saying it, it pierces people with many sorrows. And we see that, right? Like in our culture, you see people who acquire more and more and more wealth. But are they the happy people? Are they the content people? No. Um, and so it's a lie that the world tells us. Um, we prayed this morning as we were, something we do, uh, all the, the worship team and people involved in production and volunteers, uh, before you guys show up here, we, we go in the back room and we spend some time praying together. And one of the things we talked about before our prayer this morning is this idea that when we gather as the people of God on a Sunday, this is like a, it's like a protest against the systems and the kingdoms of the world. And I don't know if you've ever thought of church that, that way. I don't know if you knew that you showed up to a protest this morning. You probably didn't think of it that way. But it is, it's a protest against the systems and the powers and the kingdom of the world because we're proclaiming a story. It's the true story. It's the true faith. But out there in the world that you live in, where you work and where you play and in your neighborhoods and all these places out there, there's, there's, a dif there's different stories that are unfolding and there's a big story out there that says if you can acquire more finances, if you can get more material possessions, then you, like that will lead to a better life. And it will fulfill you, and it will give you status, and it will give you all these things that look so shiny and good. But what the scriptures clearly teach us is that if we crave that, 
and we make that the pursuit of our life, it will leave us empty. And that's what we're talking about is, but there's a different way that we can view money and resources that doesn't have to end in sorrow. And that's why we're talking about it. And the reason that Jesus talks about money is because God loves you so much and he doesn't want money and your love of money to harm you, right? Rather, he wants you to use your money as a tool to bless other people. If you have resources, then it's, it's a tool that God's giving you not to crush you, right? And, and not to inordinately grab your heart, but it's, it's supposed to be a way to bless other people, to bless your family and your neighbors and your friends. And secondly, to fund the advancement of his kingdom is that there is, his kingdom's broken into the world, um, but it's visceral and real. It's not just a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's real work where God's advancing his initiative in the world because he wants all people everywhere to know the one true story of the world. And he uses us and he uses all of our resources to do that. And the one word I want you to hear when you hear that is the word invitation, is that God is inviting you to participate in the one true story of the world. And when you hear that invitation and when you begin to align your life and that's all of your life, that's aligning, you know, your, your time and that's aligning your relationships, but really important, it's aligning your finances and your resources. When you align your finances and your resources behind the invitation to participate in God's initiatives, great things happen in your life. And the things that we long for of security and wholeness, and happiness, all those things. This is the way, guys. The way is not accumulating and using it for ourselves. The way is, is responding to this invitation that we would participate in God's work in the world. Okay, well, where are we going with this? Um, that's just kind of like to tee up, why are we talking about money? I hope that orients you um, correctly. And then I, I really like, as we launch into the, uh, some scripture and begin to look at some principles of like, how do we do this? How do we begin to do this realigning work in our life? Um, I want you to just ask this question. Maybe if you're taking notes, you could write this down. You know, what would it look like for to be your true self? That's, that's as God made and called you to be fully alive um, to his life and purposes with money. So what would it look like to be your true self fully alive with money? And, and, and a deep question underneath that question is, like, are you living a life where you're your true self fully alive with your relationship with money right now? And I think if we're, if we're honest, like, it's, it's, it's probably a dial, not a switch. It's not like a yes, no. It's like, we're somewhere on that spectrum of like, I've, I've either, I've never heard a teaching like this before and I've only thought of money as something that's mine to control and use as I see fit. And on the other end, it's like, man, I like living completely like Jesus, like completely free of a love of money on this side, which by the way, none of us are, are all the way over here, um, but we're probably somewhere in between that. And so the question is, you know, but what does it look like for you to be fully alive um, and as your true self with money because that's the goal. That's what 
Jesus wants for you. That's what I want for you. Because can you imagine a community of God's people where we were all our true selves, fully alive with money? We were all unencumbered and free. And we were blessing people out, out of that. Like that's a beautiful image for your life. And it's a beautiful image for our community to, to be that. And I do think that that's God's vision. It's a big part of God's vision for what he has for us is that, you know, as I was praying for you guys uh, and, and writing this message, you know, word kept coming to my mind of unleashed. Of unleashed. And, you know, we're, we're watching all this violence unfold around the world, particularly in the Middle East right now. And, and I th that's a word that comes to mind when I see that happening too, right? That there's violence being unleashed on the world right now. And, and that's a picture of the kingdoms of the world, right? And what, what happens like when we forget God and as, as people and go our own way is that violence gets unleashed on the world and people just pursue their own interest and pursue whatever is best for them and they have no capacity to love other people. That's what happens in the world. But again, like as a church, we're proclaiming a kingdom that's broken into the darkness and, and God wants to unleash something different. The world's unleashing violence and he's unleashing violence in your life and he's unleashing violence, you know, in the world. That's the world, the evil one is doing that. But God in his power wants to unleash something else for his kingdom. And, and so that's as we think about this as a community, as you think about this as a household, just begin to think about what would it look like if, if God were to unleash us in our finances, individually and corporately for his work and kingdom? Like what could that look like? And so how are we going to do that? Well, we're gonna look at a text in 2 Corinthians um, and for this week and next week, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Um, if you have a Bible, I would just encourage you to, to turn there and be in the scriptures. Um, if you don't have a study Bible, I really want to encourage you to get one. Um, if you don't have one and like that's just an obstacle for you, we have study Bibles out here. would love for you to have one. This is the only tool that you need to study the scriptures. You know, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to have 89 books in your library. You can literally just use your study Bible. So I just want to encourage you um, to read a paper copy of the Bible if, if you can get your hands on one. So let me just read um, this text. This is chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 first. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will, and they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for, uh, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. And so this is a scripture where Paul is, is, is collecting money for a really impoverished church in Jerusalem. And, and now the church is spread throughout the Gentile world. And so he's collecting this offering. And, and so he's teaching the Corinthians about what does it look like to be fully alive as your true selves, as a church, as God's people in the world? What does that look like? 
uh, to participate and, and respond to this invitation to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And what he does is he first, he gives this example and he says, let's look at your brothers and sisters in this church in Macedonia, this, this other church, and see what they're, they're doing. And it, he says, like, look at their example. It says, he, they first gave themselves to God and then by the will of the Lord to us. And, and a couple of things there, you know, I don't know how old you are in your faith, but there's a dynamic in, as we're following Jesus, we always need to have relationships with people who are behind us in the faith, and really important that we have people ahead of us in the faith. And so for me, I have three or four, you know, older people that I've invited to be in my life that I seek their counsel on a regular basis, and they have permission to speak into my life and correct me. And we need that because we need people who are ahead of us in the faith who can provide an example to us. So if you don't have that, I just really want to encourage you to pursue that. That's something you can pursue. And here's a great thing. You're in a church. You're in a body where we're a multi-generational church. By the grace of God, we've got people at every life stage right here in this room. And so, you know, we want to find people. You know, if you don't have somebody, I really want to encourage you, find somebody who's older than you in the faith. Um, and, 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 and talk to them about their faith, and particularly uh, as we're going through this, maybe um, talk to them about you know, their principles of generosity. I mean, that's what Paul's teaching here is that, um, hey, let's look at our older brothers and sisters in the faith in this church in Macedonia and look at what was their example. Well, they first gave themselves to God, so they gave their heart to God, and then by the will of the Lord to us, and so this is all about the inclination of the heart, and that when God invites us in, right, is that he invites us to give ourselves fully to him. And when it comes to our money, he's saying, you know, um, let's, we have to give ourselves to God's project first, to his will first, and then we have to look around and say, where is he inviting us to participate in his kingdom? So we give ourselves to God. How do we do that? This is our first pr principle as you're thinking about generosity and you're saying, Gabe, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Here's the first, like, first step in doing this is to be prayerful, to be prayerful. How do we give ourselves to God? How do we figure out where he's inviting us in? We have to pray. We have to go to him in prayer. Um, and we need to pray about our giving. And I don't know if you've ever prayed about your giving before. Have you ever prayed and just asked that God would make you a generous person? That's a powerful prayer if you've never prayed that. As I was praying that for myself, I found myself praying two parts to a prayer. First part is what I'll call a confession. Do you know what a confession is? A confession is naming truth. It's naming what's true. And so a confession is, is what we read in the very beginning when we read that psalm. You know, we read that God owns everything. He owns everything in the world. The world is mine and everything in it. That's a confession about what's true, but there's also the kind of confession that I found myself praying this week and just saying, oh God, like my heart is so inclined to want more than I have. It just is. I, I look at people and it's so hard in our culture in South Charlotte and Matthews. We look around, there's always somebody who has more, isn't there? And, and, and you can look and you can say, I want that. I want that house. I want, you know, and that's, I struggle with that in my own story. And so Part, the first part of prayer is a prayer of confession to say, God, here's what I read that's true about you, is that I confess that you own everything. 
And the second part is that I confess that I'm not living a life that's fully alive as my true self when it comes to money. And I, I confess that I've, I've wanted more than I have. And I've confess, I confess that I want to spend everything I do have on myself. And I want to be in control and I want to be in charge. And so I confess that. But a second aspect of prayer is that we ask God, God, show me where you want me to participate financially in your kingdom. Show me that, God. Give me your heart of generosity. Reveal to me what you're saying. Show me where you want me to participate. And that was what Paul was teaching, is the Macedonians had done that, is they were prayerful people and had prayed and had then responded, because, you know, they were a poor church too. It wasn't like they had a lot of money. But they responded in faith, and they became generous people. So this first P is as we think about our generosity to be prayerful in that. And we want to pray for our hearts and we want to confess the ways that we've strayed away from the true faith, believing that prayer changes things. And it primarily first begins with changing our own hearts and our attitudes. And if, if you guys are like Janet and I and you're married and money is a big point of tension in your relationship, I want you to hear you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, we've struggled with that for almost 25 years. And, you know, the way out is not me getting my way or Janet getting her way. The way out is that we're prayerful and we seek, as we seek God together and say, God, give us your heart. Make our heart right. And we believe that God will change our hearts and, and draw us to his will for us. The second P that we want to talk about is in, found in uh, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, and then I'm going to jump to verses 10 through 12, so let me read that for you. So we have encouraged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Give whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. And there's a lot we could unpack here, but here's what I think Paul is saying, is that our giving should be a priority. We have to make it a priority. And, and here's what I think we tend to do, and I'm going to raise my hand and say throughout my story with money, I, I've tended to, to have this view, is that uh, we wait until we get to the end of our budgets, and then we give the leftovers to God. And, and so our dynamic, we might say, is that like we spend, right? And, and, and then maybe we think about, well, maybe I should save a little bit because I need, you know, to have some savings. And then after all that, after all our needs are met, then we say, you know, now I'll give out of what's left over. And, and that's a very, like, accepted way of thinking about our finances in the world. Because the world story is your money belongs to you, and you're completely in charge of it, so do whatever you want with it, but that's not God's story. And what I want to invite you into and what the scripture is inviting you into is, is he says, you know, match your readiness to give with your priorities. Start with giving as your priority. 
And next week, I'm going to share more about Janet and I's story of uh, how that's unfolded at different phases of, of our life. Um, but, you know, just, just know this, that if we don't make it a priority, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so I want to encourage you to flip the script and, and think in the times we've been successful, and it hasn't been every time we flipped it, and what we said is, let's decide on what we're going to give first. Let's decide what we're going to give. And that should all, by the way, if God's leading you and inviting you in that, that should always be a faith exercise. Because what did I say at the beginning? The currency of the kingdom of God is not money. It's what? Faith. Remember, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And what he wants is to grow your faith, your trust in him. So what's a real tangible way he can do that? Man, make your giving decision first. And, and, and make it a gift of faith. A gift of faith means if God doesn't show up, it's a bad day. And so we want to use our brains and reason, but we want to think about giving first, and then we think about saving next, and then we spend what's left over after that. And I know finances can be a lot more complicated than that. Janet and I actually hired a, a coach this year to help us think through our finances more intentionally because we really struggle with um, agreeing on some of these things and, and, and carrying out these principles. So I just want to encourage you about that. The last thing I want to end with is that there's this myth out there that says, when I earn more, I will give more. When I earn more, I'll give more. And a lot of us like, are lulled into thinking that. And they th you, you're hearing this and you're saying, Gabe, you don't know my financial situation. Things are really tight. You know, but maybe if God would bless me more and I get a promotion, I get a different job, whatever, and I earned more, then I would give more. But the whole thing is that's, that's categorically just not true. It's a myth. And, and there's a lot of research out there that points to this. This isn't Christian research. This is just research that says people who make less than $75,000 a year give more percentage-wise of their money than people who make more than $75,000 a year. The reality is that the more we make, the more we're tempted to spend it on us and the bigger our desires can get. So our, our posture of generosity, our heart of gener generosity is not predicated on the amount of money that we make. It, it's, it's predicated on the posture of our heart and the inclination of our heart that comes through aligning our heart and our desires with the heart of God himself. And so what we need to do, the principle here is to prioritize our giving and be generous with, with what God has given you now. And so here's the very practical thing um, that I want to just challenge you with as you go home this week is would you consider praying, praying a courageous prayer prayer of confession, of really looking at yourself and saying, Lord, this is the way I've fallen short. This is the ways in which I don't view money correctly. And then the second prayer is, God, would you show me where you're inviting me to give? And would you give me, and this is the main crux of the prayer, would you give to me a heart of generosity? Because guess what? When you get a generous heart, it flows out not just in your finances, you become a generous person in your relationships and in every aspect of your life. And remember, if you don't forget, if you don't hear anything else, remember that God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, um, just thank you that you love us so much that you're not content to leave us to our own devices. Lord, um, we thank you that you're inviting us into the one true story of the world. 
And Lord, I just pray for my friends in the room today that um, as we're all listening to your word and we're considering um, what we're hearing, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would do a work in our hearts and our heads and in our conversations in our homes. Lord, that you would direct us and draw us that we might be a radically generous people. And Lord, we just look forward to seeing what happens when you unleash a generous people in our neighborhoods and in our relational worlds and in our city. And Lord, we just thank you that you're a generous God, that you went first, that you gave it all, and you invite us to do the same in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Would you guys please stand with us if you can as we continue to worship? the king of my heart be the wind upon my sails the anchor in the waves always my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days always my song you are good Friends, more than anything, I hope you've had an encounter with the living God this morning, maybe in, in something you heard, in something you sang, in a conversation that you had, or just a sense of his presence this morning. Um, and, you know, as we think about having hearts of, of generosity, I just want to remind you that um, your part 
of the one true kingdom of the world that's already broken into the darkness. And that when we align our hearts with God's hearts, life flows out in all the ways that we dream of. And, um, you know, I'm just praying for you guys as, as you're trying to do life out there in the world. I know it's tough, but you're not by yourself. That's the beauty of the church is to be part of a connected body of brothers and sisters who are journeying together. Um, if, if you're not yet connected in a smaller community, you know, the life of the body, this is a beautiful manifestation of the body when we gather on Sundays and we sing and, you know, we fill this room together and it's a, it's a beautiful and important part of our life together. But there's a part of our life where we have to be in a smaller community where we have to be known by five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten other people who know our names and know our hard stories and can speak in and offer wisdom and, and offer support. And so if you don't have that, I just want to encourage you to pursue that because that's what you're being invited into um, today and, and every time you come here. Um, and if that's you and you want to get connected, um, find any of us. There's actually a table called the connection table out there. Um, anybody wearing a lanyard, I'd love to talk to you. We have New City in Five that Ron mentioned. It's just a time where um, if, you, if I haven't met you yet, please come. I'd love to just meet you and have a conversation. Or if you want to know more about the church, would love to talk to you about that as well. If you'd like to respond to what you've heard today um, by giving, you can do that best online. There's also boxes in the lobby where you can begin to exercise generosity um, to God's kingdom in, the, in that way. Now, if you're able, would you extend your hands in a posture of receiving? Remember, when it comes to God, we bring nothing to the table. All we bring is a posture of, of openness and saying, Lord, I'm here to receive what you have for me. And so as you go out into the world, um, I pray that you would receive the goodness of God, that you would receive his wisdom that would guide you in all of these conversations this week about your hearts, that you would receive his faithfulness, his love, and his invitation that he wants you to be near to him. And have